I do want you to clap for Justin in just a minute, but I wanted you to know why I invited him here this morning. I wanted Justin to be here because right after this service, uh, immediately following the service, straight across the hall in the overflow room, we're going to have a parent meeting for all of you who have kids that are transitioning into junior high, that are in junior high, that are transitioning into high school, that are in high school, or that are transitioning from high school. So if that covers any of you parents, we're going to be meeting. Justin is a youth ministry specialist. Uh, and, and so I wanted him here because of that and also because he has sleeve tattoos and I thought that that was cool. And, uh, and so he's going to be in there. We're going to meet afterwards. So come join us right after this service. If you're a parent of students, thank you, Justin. Let's thank Justin for being here. Well, good morning. Uh, I am excited for this morning. I'm also excited for, for this weekend. Yesterday, I spent a few hours, literally, like I drove two hours uh, to Forest Home, this camp, and then spent three hours there and drove two hours back. But it was worth it because we're, we have uh, like a, a bunch of guys from our church and all the other Mariners churches, and they're doing a men's retreat at Forest Home right now, and they are killing it. They are, they are having so much fun. It was, uh, it was like... Lord of the Flies, except for their grown men acting like children. And so it was, it was so fun to be there and to see them. And, uh, and I'm really excited, actually, about these guys coming back and, like, lighting a fire underneath our men's stuff that we do for men here in this community. It's going to go to another level. You're going to see that soon. Um, so, so that is fun and exciting. It, it's good to be a part of this larger Mariners Church network. You, you, you were this... Uh, men's retreat that I was just at, having a guy like Justin here. There's just so many great things about it. I love this network of churches and the impact that we're having, not just in Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, Costa Mesa, Long Beach, but like all of Orange County and beyond. So you're a part of something bigger, and that's, that's fun and exciting. Um, I wanted to tell you uh, this morning that maybe you guys can relate to this, but sometimes... Another true confession. Sometimes uh, there, there are these situations where Hillary and I uh, have misunderstandings. And I, I, am, I am sure, I am sure that she said one thing, but she is equally confident that she said something else. Uh, or vice versa. I am sure that I said this, and she is equally sure that I said a different thing. And, uh, and so we kind of go to, you know, not to blows on that, but we, we kind of, we get into it a little bit and we've made the comment before, I can't wait until Jack is old enough to affirm that I am right in these moments (laughs) because he hears and one day soon he will set the record straight. Dad was right in all, no, probably not, but but he, but he will be there to, to explain, no, 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 actually, that is what you said, Mom. And, and uh, there was this one instance where um, I was coming home from work, and Hillary said, I'm very positive, but she said, you're on your own for dinner. And, uh, but what she says that she said is, hurry home for dinner. And so um, I heard you're on your own, and so I swung by Chipotle on my way home and grabbed the usual, the chicken burrito bowl, little pico, little corn, and uh, went home. And I walk in the door with my brown bag, and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you said I was on my own for dinner, so I did what I typically do, which is get Chipotle. And she's like, no, I did not. I said, 
hurry home for dinner because I've been making this thing and there's like beef and asparagus and I I felt bad, but I wasn't going to lose. I was like, no, (laughs) you clearly said you're on your own. And so this is what I do when I'm on my own for dinner. And she said, no. And I sent you a text after we talked to prove it. And I was like, you did not. I pulled out my phone and I was like, you must have called AT&T and had them, you know, put this in my phone after the fact because this was not there. I did not receive this. This is false. But we do that, don't we? I mean, we can be so convinced that we're right, that we are blind and we refuse to see or entertain any possibility of the fact that maybe we're wrong in this situation. There was a study done uh, in 2006 at Stony Brook University in New York, and these guys found that politically sophisticated thinkers were even less open to new information than the less sophisticated types. In other words, the smarter you are, the more blind you are to new information. (laughs) The more sophisticated the less likely you are to entertain new perspectives. These people, it said, the study found, may be factually right about 80% of things, but their confidence makes it nearly impossible to correct the 20% on which they're totally wrong. (laughs) You know these people, and if you don't, you probably are this person. (laughs) And... And so there are people in our lives, and maybe it's us, who are so passionate about what they believe, and they're so fixed on this way, and they grew up, and they see life through this framework, and this is how things are, and this is how things play out, and they are so sure, and they're so confident, and they've built their life on this in this way, that they are so blind. And they might be right about so much of it, but they're never going to be right about this 20% because they refuse to see And they refuse to entertain these other possibilities. It's like when you stand on a scale. You look down at the scale and you convince yourself that it's lying to you. And you look and you think, no, no. This stupid, I bought it at Target. It doesn't even work right. I shouldn't have bought the Target digital because it can't be trusted, right? Or you think, no, you walk away and you're like, I had keys in my pocket. I totally, that doesn't even count. That's a, that's, a, that's a bad read. That doesn't. And you talk yourself out of believing what's right in front of you. You miss the warning signs. You miss the lesson. You miss what somebody is trying to get you to see because you are just so sure. And we make excuses. We do that all the time. And why I bring that up is because I believe that this morning, as, as the same with many mornings when you come and you're here, I believe that God wants to speak to you but it might be something that's a little bit challenging for you to receive. You might be so sure about the way you think about things, about the way you put yourself in the context of the greater story, about the way you've grown up and your framework for religiousness and for faith and for life and for money and for family, that you might be tempted to think, oh, no, 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 this scale's wrong. Or I, I wish that this person was here for this message because they really need this kind of a thing. And I would invite you to say 
that there is a law that the Stony Brook University people call the backfire effect. And it teaches us that they're for all of us, that our sensibilities and our deep convictions can backfire against us when they make us blind to other possibilities that we refuse to entertain because we're so sure that we're right. So be open to the possibility that God might want to challenge you today and as we go forward. Last week, we talked about in this series called What If? What if the things that we read about in the Bible are true? What if God really did put on skin and come down to relate to you and I and change everything? What are the implications for life? And last week, we saw in this story as we're moving through the gospel of Luke, we saw that things are really escalating, that Jesus now has enemies And ironically, they're the religious leaders of the day, and they hate Jesus. And just in the last chapter, we've seen that they've started to kind of plot to get rid of him. They want him out of the picture. This isn't working for them anymore, and it's no longer just like looking over his shoulder. It's like, we're done with this guy. We've got to get him out. And so the stakes are being raised, and Jesus is getting zeroed in on his mission, and he knows that to, to fulfill his mission and what God the Father has him here on earth to do, he's going to need some dudes. He's going to need a team around him. He's going to need his go-to guys, and so he's about to pick his team. He's about to rally the few that are going to be his core. And in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12, it starts out like this. It says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. Let's just stop there for a second. We believe, if you're new and you're just exploring this, we believe some weird stuff. So, you know, bear with us. We believe that Jesus was actually God with skin on. And yet, he thought it was necessary to spend an entire night praying and talking with God the Father before he made some big decisions. How do you make your big decisions? Flip a coin, read the back of the newspaper, shoot a text to someone you trust or someone who you know is going to tell you what you want to hear, do a pros and cons thing. Do you, have you ever been desperate enough where you just walked around all night long because you're waiting for God to speak to you? Like, I can't do anything else. I just need to know what you want me to do. Jesus spent the whole night praying before he, choose, before he chooses his disciples. Verse 13, when morning came, he called the disciples to him. There's a bunch of people, followers, who were around. And he chose 12 of them who he also designated as apostles. Apostles simply means sent ones. So there's going to be a core 12 that he's going to entrust with the responsibility of being the ones who carry his message to the ends of the earth, to other people groups, to, to that extend his message beyond him. And these are his core 12 that he's going to do life with for these next few years. Verse 14, Simon who he named Peter. So he changes his name to Peter. Peter means rock. And Simon, at that time, was anything but a rock. His brother, Andrew, James and John, who were brothers, Philip, Bartholomew, who has an awesome name. Verse 15, Matthew, who was a former tax collector, a cheater, swindling his own people out of money, charging them exorbitant taxes, partnering with Rome 
to the detriment of his own people. Thomas, who would be famously known as Doubting Thomas. James, son of Alf, right? So there's that. Simon, who was called the Zealot. A zealot was a person who had like daggers hidden in their cloak because they were always looking for opportunities to, to try to overthrow Rome as they're oppressing them. And so they're, they're trying to take out the top dogs in Rome and they're trying to do it by force because they're so convinced that they are right, that their ways are right. And they're thinking, we just have to do something. We are right. Our way is right. We know the Torah. We know the law. And we need to get these heathens out of here. They're oppressing us and we're going to kill them. That That was a zealot's mindset. And then there's Judas, son of James, and then the other Judas Iscariot, who later became a traitor and literally betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And so you might, if you're observing this scene, be saying to yourself, Jesus, you spent all night praying, and this is what you came up with? (laughs) These guys? This is your crew? Not only would I not entrust them with my message of hope for the world that we're going we're gonna, to like, hitch our wagons to 2,000 years later, I wouldn't even want to hang out with these guys. And you choose them to be your, your guys? They're the ones? I mean, in this mix, you have a zealot who kills Roman you know, officials and war, uh, soldiers and stuff. And on the same team, you have a tax collector who's working for Rome to tax the heck out of his own people. Side by side, same, same squad. You're like, Jesus, you, you must know something. Here's what we know now, looking back, is that he chooses you too. He chooses you too. That he chooses, not just then, but now, such a motley crew of different types of people. And he says, follow me. I can use a guy like you. I can use a woman like you. I have something in mind for you to do too. You can, you can boil the whole message of the gospel down to two simple words. Follow me. Follow me. We like to, like we talked about last week, we like to put on more meanings, more layers, more rules and restrictions, more things to keep people in and out, more, more ways that we can feel like things are black and white to make us sleep better at night. And he says, follow me. We'll figure it out as we go. And so he chooses these, these strange guys, and they become his followers. And Mark 3 14 says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Before he sends them out to do anything, notice how cool this is, that the invitation is to be with him. Maybe you feel like one of them, like, I'm a mess up. I came to church today for the first time, and you don't even know what I did this weekend already. And if, if you knew, you wouldn't even want me here. Jesus says, we'll work that out. I want you with me. Follow me. I choose you. Yeah, but if you knew, if you knew the stuff that I've done, if you knew the places that I've been, follow me. Yeah, but I'm probably going to screw up again. And what do I do if I screw up again? 
get up and follow me again. Yeah, but I probably need like 10 lashes first, and then I can come. I, I, I'm going to have 39 lashes myself for you, so why don't you just get up and follow me? The invitation to his followers, and then he rallies them. He coaches them. He, 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 speaks, he chooses them. He says, be with me. I'm going to send you out, but first I'm going to coach you. And he sits him down in this level place, the Bible says, and there's a large crowd there, and he's healing diseases and all kinds of stuff. People are flocking to him, and then he's about to teach him. And this is going to be like, like I, I've rallied you. I've called you here. You're my 12. We're going to change the world. Here's what we're going to do. This is like a brave heart moment. They might have painted their faces. It's, it's a gladiator or even miracle. Like when you hit the ice tomorrow, for my Kings fans, when you hit the ice, we're, we're going to play this way. We're going to do this. And this is his big speech. We're going this way if you've ever been through rush you know as a sorority like we're changing the way you think and your cadence of your voice and we're all going to talk the same and or basic you know training we're he's telling them this is what I want you to be about this is how I want you to think this is my message to you my followers verse 20 looking at his disciples he said blessed are you Dot, dot, dot. We'll pause there because you know that when they hear blessed, they're on the edge of their seats like, we want to be blessed. I would rather be blessed than not blessed. Find me a person who would not rather be blessed than not blessed. Even if they want nothing to do with God, they don't come to church, they don't do anything. like. Everybody wants to be blessed. Anyone who wins an award or a Super Bowl game or, you know, whatever, they just think, they feel blessed. And we all want to be, so they're leaning in like blessings. Yes, 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 yes. Blessings. We want to know what it looks like to be blessed, but they don't understand what's about to happen to them, that their minds are about to be blown, that everything that they've known and that they've built their life around and been really confident in is about to be flipped upside down. Because in this first century, all these Jewish people that Jesus is speaking to, they grew up in a way that was really confident in their understanding of the Torah, their book of law, their their, their, old, their Bible, they built their lives on that. And they know this chapter in Deuteronomy 28 that says, if you obey God's commands, you will be blessed. And your livestock will be blessed. They'll be fat and you know, muscular and give you a lot of steak. Your, your crops will be blessed. You'll have great veggies. You know, th- that will be fun. Your womb will be blessed. You'll be fertile. You'll have kids. You will be blessed if you keep God's commands. As a general rule, God has wired this world that you get out what you put in. You follow his commands. Things go well for you because he knows how this world is. You work hard. Good things happen. You plant this kind of seed, that kind of tree or crop is going to grow. As a general rule, that's what happens. And when you don't do those things right, when you don't work hard, when you don't show up at work on time, when you don't care for this person, the opposite happens. And in that same book of Deuteronomy 8, that we're not, 28, we're not going to look at it now but you can look at it on your own. It says, if you don't do those things, you will be cursed. Your livestock will be cursed. Your crops will be cursed. You will be cursed. It won't go well for you. And so that's the mentality of the people that he's speaking to. That's their view of the world. That's what's normal. That's what they know. And what happens to humans is when we see a framework like that, our tendency, because we are self-centered, is to go down a slippery slope, which means I am blessed 
because of my behavior. So I have earned my blessings. And I'm going to do more stuff to get more blessings because I know how to work this system. And people that are not blessed, it's their own fault. They're slackers. They're commandment breakers. They don't get it. They don't really care about God. They're doing their own thing. And so we have this tendency to slip down into that viewpoint. And what they were doing in that time and what we still have a tendency to do today is that the blessed think that they're responsible for their blessings and that they've earned them. The cursed are responsible for the things that they're suffering with and they've had that coming. And so the blessed isolate themselves from the cursed. And they think, that's on you. I'm blessed. I do things the right way. I have my stuff in order. You're cursed, so you must, you're, you know, you're, you need to figure things out because you are not doing things right, obviously. And so we isolate, we separate And the people that seem blessed are praised and elevated. And the people that seem cursed are rejected and sent away. And that's their framework. And so Jesus says, blessed are you. And they're leaning in like, yeah, I think I do most of these things. This is going to be good for me. All right, I'm leaning in. Maybe he's got some extra bonus points here that I can really like latch onto and figure out. And I can enhance my gold star blessing sheet. And this is... And he launches in with verse 20, blessed are you who are poor. And I promise you, you probably could have heard a pin drop. And they're like, this scale is not right. Uh, this, this doesn't, this, is, this can't be. What are you talking about? Blessed are, the, blessed are the poor? For yours is the kingdom of God? Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of your association with Jesus. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, in fact, because great is your reward in heaven. There's a bigger story here. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Their ancestors, he's talking about religious people. That is how they treated the prophets of old. And the people that are sitting there, they're listening, are like, what? Is he crazy? I don't know how I feel about being one of the chosen 12 anymore. This is nuts. This doesn't make sense. And it gets worse. (laughs) Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you. Monica on our staff who does outreach, whenever she gets like weirded out by something people are doing, she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And that's what she says. So that's what rings in my head. She's like, Jesus is saying, woe to you. Like, pause. Think about this. You don't think that this is about you. You're trying to justify. There's a 20% that you can't see. And I'm telling you, it's about you. Woe to you. Pause, think, consider. Woe to you who are rich. Oh, that's not me. I'm, I'm like middle of the road. I'm just kind of the average. Amount. I'm right. If there's a here and a here and a, I'm dead in the middle. You know, I'm, this, this, doesn't, this isn't me. Woe to you who are rich. 
for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people, when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now let's be clear about something. Jesus isn't saying that money is bad. He's not saying that food is bad or that it's bad to have food in your belly. He's not saying it's bad to laugh. What he's saying is there is a world system that is always trying to figure out how to extract more blessings from life for myself. How to make myself more money. How to make myself more happy. How to make myself more comfortable. There's a world system that just obsesses about that. Woe to you when you accidentally, subtly, slowly get absorbed into, caught up in that world system. Tim Ferriss wrote a book years back called The Four-Hour Workweek. You're like, I'm in. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds good. Uh, I actually like the book, but the whole premise is very dangerous. In essence, it's saying, how can I get as much as I possibly can out of life with the least amount of effort? How can I maximize my personal freedom and minimize my personal responsibility? How can I get more blessings for myself, more blessings for me, more good for me, And at the same time, I kind of prefer to insulate myself and separate myself for the people that are a little bit more messy, that don't have the same, that are going through hard things, that make bad decisions. I kind of, uh, I kind of don't, I'd rather more blessings, more blessings. I work hard. I'm smart. I do good stuff. They're on their own. They, you know, they kind of had it coming. Uh, More for me, more for me. That's the world system. Tim Ferriss is called a life hacker more blessings, less effort. We want to be life hackers. Our culture tells us to be life hackers. Obsess about the blessing. You deserve it. You make good decisions. You do good things. More blessing, less effort, less responsibility, and leave them without to fend for themselves. That's, That's their issue. Nah, not me. This scale, it's, it's the scale's fault. You know, this, I'm not sure that this is my message, but someone really in this room needs it, I'm sure. And here's what we're saying as life hackers. What we're really saying is, how can I hack all the blessings out of this life to the point where I don't need anybody, including God? How can I get financially free and independent. So I don't have to work for the man. Oh, and by the way, I I don't even really need to consider God anymore. And so our world system says, go for those things. That's noble. You deserve it. You're smart. You've worked for it. The world system is about independence and trying to get you to pursue a life of independence and freedom from responsibility, freedom from connection to people and even connection to your creator. And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You think that's what you want. It's not actually what you want. 
It doesn't end well for those kind of people. Jesus' way is about dependence on this God. The world says, be independent. God, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You actually want to be dependent. It's, it's better to consider yourself poor. Even if you've got millions of dollars, it's better to consider yourself poor, to remember that you need God, that it's him who provides you with everything that you have. It's better, even if your pantry is full and you can go to any restaurant you want, it's better to consider yourself hungry and pray to God to provide for your daily needs. It's better. Even if you have figured out, you have like the Nest system in your home, and you on your cell phone, you've, you're dialing it in, and it's at 69.5 degrees when you walk in, and your refrigerator's perfect, and your groove on your sofa's right how you like it, and your TV can't be any bigger. Even if, that's, even if you have that, it's better to tell yourself, I don't need to be that comfortable because there is a bigger story here. God has more for me. Jesus says it's better if you consider yourself hungry, poor, so that you consider yourself in need of your God. That you don't want to do this life on your own anyway. Blessed are the people who don't need all those things. You can have them, but that you don't need them. What you really just know that you need is your God. Blessed are the poor who view themselves as rich because of God. Blessed are the hungry who trust that God will feed them. Blessed are the unpopular who actually care more about what God thinks. What if Jesus was talking to us? What if he was talking to you? What if you could see that you are among the top 1% of wealth in the world? What if you could see that you are in the top 1% of comfort in the world? What if he was speaking to you this morning? What if he said to you, yes, you have blessings because I'm a generous father who loves to bless you but there's a bigger blessing. There's a bigger blessing. These blessings, child's play. I've got a bigger blessing for you. This is a blessing that lasts for eternity. Follow me. I created you for this. Trust me. Come with me. We're going to change the world. There's a bigger blessing. I've given you the blessings that you have. Get this not just for you, but I want you to use these blessings to bless other people, even the ones who you think had it coming, even the ones who have messed up their lives, because at least some of them know that they need me, which is what I want for you. Jesus chooses his team. He coaches his team. He commissions his team. Here are some, before I read you this last verse, let me just give you some characteristics of people who live for the bigger blessing. This is, these are what I've seen in some people's lives. They have a tendency to be willing to take bigger risks. When you have the, 
the end in mind, we have a longer eternal perspective. When you see that Jesus is telling a bigger story, there's a bigger blessing than just stuff. You can take risks because what if you lose some money? What if you lose some stuff? You can give things away. You can go on some trip and make a difference. You can, you can give up a Saturday. You can volunteer in this way. You can, you can be stretched. You, you, know, you can try new things because why not? There's a bigger blessing. It's not just what the world tells you is important. You can take more risks. People that live for the bigger blessing are also, they're less obsessed about circumstances. Bad things happen. Their political party loses. There's a law that's passed. And it's the end of the world. Yeah, if you think that, this, that being blessed is all about having power and money and authority and position then, yeah, I could see why you panic. But if, being, if there's a bigger blessing, you can trust God when he says, just follow me. Just follow me. You live with the end in mind. You're more, you're more hospitable. You open up your home to more people. Have you ever been in someone's home that's like such a nice home that you walk around like this? Hey, come stay in my home for the week. And you're like, I would love to, and I would be scared to death because I know that I, Jack would break something. Uh, and, and then I don't, wouldn't even know what I would do. Who do you think, the people with huge homes and tons of money or the people with like regular stuff are more hospitable? It's these people who don't have to put on a show all the time. Now, it can be people with awesome houses. I love when those people are hospitable. <laughs> but most of the time, it's not the case because there's so much pressure. Who are the most fearful people that you know? They're people with a lot to lose because it becomes about the stuff. But if you live for the bigger blessing, you have different perspective on stuff. 1 John chapter 2 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Friends, there's a bigger blessing. Now, what if you tried an experiment for the summer? Because the summer is a time which is generally all about us, right? We've worked hard. We put this, we put this you know, time, this vacation time on hold, and now we're going to use it. We've saved our money for these trips. We've saved our money to do this stuff. We tend to make the summer about us. The sun's out. I got my new board shorts. I've lost 10 pounds. This is about me. And what if you paused this morning and considered what would a summer look like that's living for a bigger blessing? What would a summer look like that's a little bit less about you and a little bit more about extending your blessings to other people? How to be blessed this summer. Three quick things. Instead of just comparing, relate. Instead of just comparing your blessings to someone else's blessings, God's totally blessing them more than me and they're not even as nice. Instead of comparing, relate, connect, do life with, open your home to, 
instead of claiming for your own offer. Instead of claiming, I want more blessings for me, offer. Instead of consuming, contribute. Instead of making this a summer just about consumption, about what you can get out of it, think about what you can put in. What can you contribute to other people's lives? What can you contribute to our church community and the community around us? What can you contribute? Jesus chooses you. And he just says, come and follow me. It's going to be good. It's going to look a little bit different than you had in mind, if you can get your mind around that. But it's going to be good. It's going to be even better than you thought. God, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you that you love to bless your children. Now use us to be a blessing to others. We just want to follow you.